1: Orville Roach Welcome, welcome folks to Roach on Recovery This is your host, Orville Roach Along with my co-host, producer, engineer, and
2: Everything, all of the above we got a great show coming
1: Chris Morales in the house uh, 646-564-9909 646-564-9909 is the number If you want to call in to speak to us if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show page website That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio, and you don't have to call it on the call-in line to listen to the show. Unless that's your only means, then
2: do it. By all means, do so. All do right. it and follow us, please. Follow us.
1: Not <laughs> <Stop> begging. Um, <laughs> first of all, it's uh, it's a bombing.
2: Would you say fifty eight degrees? Yeah, but we can't I mean we can't brag too much. There's been some rain as of late.
1: We had some good rain overnight. You know we're in a severe drought. Severe water restriction out here in California. Um
2: Daily City over an inch. Yep. So
1: nothing to brag about. Dropping the bucket. Yeah. Still not gonna make the farmers in the Central Valley happy. Nope. But what can we do? Uh, let's go right to our recap. I I, didn't, I purposely didn't say happy recap because the announcement we, so happy. yeah the announcement we have we have a condo- uh, condolence to the uh immediate and extended and daytop family of longtime Daytop employee Gary Kaleo, who recently passed away worked for Daytop for
2: twenty years. Wow.
1: Um so we wanna extend our condolences outward to All who knew him.
2: Absolutely. And
1: especially to his service, to Daytop and to helping others.
2: Absolutely.
1: I want to go into a a segment that you named.
2: Oh, yeah, the, the sharing is caring segment. Yeah, the sharing is caring segment. So
1: I have two brothers. I'm the third of three, fifth of six children, right? Okay. Um so there's my sister who's a year older than me. Then then my oldest sister and then the oldest in the family my oldest brother. So I'm So t- you
2: have one younger sister.
1: I have one younger sister. Right, so I'm the fifth, she's the sixth. All right. Um so the brother that's right above me, the next one in line in terms of the males. Okay. Okay. has struggled for at least 20 years with alcoholism. Okay. And he's had periods of sobriety.
2: Um How long if you don't mind me asking?
1: Um short periods. Um the the periods usually uh
2: months in length. length? I would
1: say uh 18 months, 2 years, maybe oh, a little okay. bit longer and they, and they usually were sequel to uh, treatment episodes. Okay. Okay. Um and so he he's he was recently in in a, in a relapse mode of alcoholism and um, over the weekend was admitted to the hospital um, in ICU. Hmm. And it was real. That They put him through a severe alcohol detox.
2: Wow, okay.
1: And as you may or may not be aware, the first three days are very dicey. Yes. In terms of the number of things that can happen to, to a person who's going through that. And a number of those things did happen to him. He had a mild heart attack, Wow. Um, you had respiratory failure. And one of the things I was thinking about, because I was as I was explaining to uh, you know, members of the family that, that, that one to three day period is really always touch and go, which is one of the reasons why, you know, obviously anyone that we accept in the program and we find out that they're alcoholics, we really dig into it to make sure that they don't need a medical detox before they right. come into the program. Right. Um because you could die if not properly monitored. Right. So fortunately for him, he went to the hospital for, I'm not sure, it was an unrelated thing, I think. I still haven't gotten an answer to that. It's amazing how sometimes information, when you're 3,600 miles away, it's difficult to get information. Oh, sure, yeah. Even, even through your underground sources. <laughs> of um, course. But they admitted him, luckily, and I, I said to um my sister that you know it was you know miracle that you know that he got admitted because um so hopefully maybe he'll go into you know they'll de- you know put him in a medical alcohol detox but you can't be forced into one you have to agree right so however it happened he ended up in a medical alcohol detox and experienced this these significant events while he was uh, in that first 3 day period so On Saturday going into Sunday, it was, you know, that second day going into that third day was where it was really nip and tuck. Okay. Uh, He was on the breathing machine and, you know, um, et cetera. And I was thinking to myself that – and I hope this doesn't sound macabre to people, but this is a weekend, an Easter weekend where I could be bringing into the world my grandson – because she's due any moment. In, any I might time. have to drop the mic at any moment in time. Right. Uh, why do I have to drop the mic? I'm not the father. Check that. Mike, the <laughs> mic will stay on. <laughs> the mic will stay on. The show will go on. All right. Um, Or uh, are we going to lose our brother? Right. And so, um, you know, that Saturday night was like, okay, it's either going to be a make or break night. Sure. Going into Sunday morning, and so we did get some good news through the night because um, obviously they three hours ahead of us. Um, that uh, he was breathing better. Oh, okay. Um, and um, he never lost consciousness, but there was one thing that my sister mentioned that let me know that okay, he's he might pull through because he's, he was getting very ornery because they have him in restraints. Okay. Okay, and uh, he's, he, you know, you hate to say this, but I mean this in the most loving way. He is not a nice person when he's drinking. Okay. When he is not drinking, he's one of the nicest people and the most generous people I've ever encountered. Not because he's my brother. Sure. Anyone that knows him will say the same thing.
2: Alcohol can have that effect on people.
1: Yes, so he's a totally different person when he's in the midst of his... um, relapse or addiction. Okay. So I don't know if this is his rock bottom. You know, wow, I I I almost I almost bit the bullet here. You right. know what I'm saying? Um because alcohol's a difficult beast. You know what I mean? So, um I'm saying all that to say that for us Outside looking in would say, "Wow, you know what? That should be rock bottom, and we hope that's the home that really changes, you know, life changes lives. You know what I mean? That that type of, you know, coming close to death type thing. Sure. And but you don't know. You never know. It's because ultimately the person has to decide once they, you know, you know they regain health and they what have you that." And, they, and, he, and he, he realizes how close he came, but is it enough to have you say, hey, you know what? I need to, once and for all, try and take care of this. Yeah. Okay. Now, my brother was, uh, now he is a classic example of a person who has who suffers from t- PTSD. He was in the Army, but it's not from being in the Army. He was hit by a car when he was 22, 21, 22. Okay. Um, hit and run.
2: He was driving as well, or no, on He foot? was he was on on a bicycle. Okay.
1: And um, crushed his leg between the knee and the ankle. Wow. Okay. And so it was either amputate or we can try and rebuild the bone or whatever. I mean, it was severely crushed. And of course, back then, this was back in 1982. I'm sure he, and my my parents, said no. Let's try and save it. And so. He was in the hospital for a couple of months, comes home, and he has, the only way I can describe it is it looked like scaffolding wow, on his leg, basically, I guess, holding the bones and whatnot, screws and bolts, whatever they put in his leg together for it to heal. Sure. And he had that for maybe about six months, six to eight months on his leg, um, but he has had a difficult time dealing with the healing of that leg, the healing of the flesh wound. And... Even though prior to that he was a dabbler, you know, he drank, you know, drank a little beer here and there, et cetera. But post that is when his drinking took off. Okay. And then just kind of blew up into full-blown alcoholism. Sure. So it is my belief, and I've said this to my mother, said this to my sisters and others, that um, he really, even though he has gone through, he he went through Phoenix House, he went through Daytona. Okay. Okay. Uh he just he recently a few years ago went through the VA's program, so he's had significant long-term treatment exposure, and out of that had you know a couple of years of sobriety, but then would eventually go back. And what I realized, and I told this to him the last time that he when I was in Virginia, he was there, that he needs he has never dealt with
2: that accident. He Not is, even in going through these treatment episodes. No,
1: no, he has never he has never had the necessary therapy, counseling, because that was that's a life changer. You're talking about a person who was into martial arts and you know was Olympic level handball player. Okay, sure. To, I mean, he got himself back walking, even kicking, and you know to the point where, you know, he's functional, um, but difficulty with dealing with the pain. Difficulty with the wound not healing, not going to your doctor's appointments, and blah blah blah. Alcohol became the
0: that the, was the treatment, the treatment,
1: yeah. so to speak. And so, even after going through um, substance abuse treatment, not addressing the root cause of you know why, why why do I do this? You know why am I doing this to myself? Not addressing that is only going to mean it's going to rear its ugly head. Again, it's not going to go away, right? You know, as we we say on the show often, you, know, you follow you wherever you go,
2: right? Yeah.
1: So, I say to my family that um, this may be rock bottom. We hope it is. We hope it spurs another attempt uh, at at sobriety, but it has to come with a real attack of that that, that tra- trauma from that accident. That he has to deal with, and it's going on 33 years this year. But it, sh- to me, it shows you how something that's left undealt with—that is not a word. You know, how we just make up words here.
2: Yeah, undealt with. That's <laughs> it's fine if you separate it's, it. Yeah, it fits. You break it up. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it left untreated, it sh- was what we should have said. Sure. I should have said left untreated is just going to rear its ugly head you know, until it's dealt with. That's right. Head on.
2: That's right. Which is what he
1: needs to do. So I hope that's what happens. Um, uh, We love him. He knows I love him. Um, And I've said this to his face that he needs to do this. He needs to stay with this counseling to to attack that. Um, But you can't put someone in a headlock. I don't care if it's a family member or a stranger on the street. You can't make them do it. That's true. That's right. So we hope, and uh, this is day... Five, so it's okay. kind of we thinking that we haven't heard any news, no news is good news, and that he's kind of out of the woods of those first three days of the detox where it's always nip and tuck, and now he'll go into that the latter phases of the detox, so
2: okay,
1: so that's the sharing is caring this is what we do right it's,
2: this is what we do right yeah, we share exactly right? so exactly, uh, how long will he be? in the hospital to complete the detox. Have they given you any information about that or uh
1: no I mean it's like talking to the CIA. Uh he'll, there, get, that, he'll get will get no that, information like it. Um I'm hoping he'll stay in um you know one, two, three years.
2: Okay. Three
1: yeah <laughs> not bad.
2: Not bad. Just enough time. So
1: no, but we, we want him to uh deal with the Mental health aspect of his recovery. That's right. Not just the physical aspect of not drinking. You can't be a dry drunk. That's right. Because you'll eventually become a
2: wet wet drunk. drunk. (laughs) Right. The old saying that Joe Acevedo used to have Mm -hmm. was there's only so long you can hang out at a barbershop before you get your hair cut. There you go. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we wish, obviously, um, from my end of things, too, I wish him the best, and our family will keep him in our uh, thoughts and prayers, and and hopefully this was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, mm-hmm. and we've hit our bottom, and time to move forward.
1: Yep. Um, and uh, all other than that, we're just waiting on Josiah.
2: Okay, man, well, we'll that's exciting. Yeah, he'll come when he's ready. I almost hope you get the text during this show, just so we can announce it you know that'll be that'll be fun.
1: We know that he has uh i think we mentioned this last week that he's dropped into position he's rocking and ready that's right. I think I sent my daughter a text saying uh a note from the from Josiah to her don't rush me
2: okay <laughs> right
1: it's uh it's dark in there it's cold
2: out there that's yeah that's very true.
1: So don't be rushing me.
2: Very true.
1: Um so, but she's due any moment, any day.
2: He'll be an April birthday. Uh he will be. Awesome. Yep. Well done.
1: We can slide right into our topic. Treatment and recovery. To relapse or not to relapse? Yes. That is not a question. Yes. <laughs> <is. laughs> So we have moved past the immediate period of our post-treatment experience, which we have named the postpartum
2: That's right. period.
1: We are now fully integrated back into society. We've moved on with our lives. But we are now fully exposed to the dual elements of life. What are those dual elements? So I wrote in the description those elements can be the re-entering of us into old experience or having new experiences. And then the creation of or the causation of feelings from those experiences. So that's what we mean or I mean by the dual elements, right?
2: Okay, that makes sense.
1: It's safe to say that uh, triggers have come. During this time?
2: Absolutely. And gone? Absolutely.
1: You've dealt with them. But what happens, Mr. Producer, dare I say? What happens if there's a relapse? How do we respond? Yeah. Do we respond like this? <laughs>
2: That's major. That's help. help is on the way help. from every angle.
1: Exactly. Or do we have the other response, which we don't have a clip for by the way, I'm sorry. <laughs> which is the response we don't want, which is uh akin to the police pulling you over and saying, All right, show your hand, spread your legs <laughs> reading, sit on, sit reading on the you curb. <laughs> putting you in the uh the illegal chokehold or reading you your rights for no reason whatsoever. When 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 you need help.
2: That's right.
1: You don't you don't need to be attacked. You need, you need to be helped. So our sign of help was of, of the siren, the ambulance and the fire engine. Those are usually coming to help That's somebody. Right. That's our assistance is on the way. Assistance is on the way. And so if there is a relapse, we want to bring that person in back into the fold. Not, not I don't mean when I say that, doesn't mean we don't want to bring them back into treatment, but we want, we want them to reach back out, reach out to us. Now, in order for that to happen, Mr. Producer, yeah. the seeds of trust must have been sown a long time ago. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. Where
1: I feel that, if you know what, regardless of how, where, what, and why the relapse have, has occurred, that I can call you up and say, Chris, I made a bad decision. I've had a relapse. I need to come in and need some help.
2: That's right. You know, and I've and I just got to throw this out there because it just makes no mind. The, the perfect soundbite for the opposite of the assistance on the way of the ambulances, if we're thinking about municipalities, mm-hmm. uh, would be a sound clip of the judge whacking the gavel saying <laughs> guilty. <laughs> and that's it. And Seven to ten. <laughs> that's right. And um, having, the, having the conviction mm-hmm. thrown at you mm-hmm. and uh, wanting to lock you up and throw away the key because you are of no good to the society. Mm-hmm. Cast you aside. That's
1: right. So that is not the response that we want. Um we want to ensure that if a relapse occurs that there is a the person has a plan. We did a show, we interviewed Dr. Jennifer Bruha that's right. Author of the Relapse Re- Relapse Prevention Planner. You can get it on Amazon.com, by the way.
2: Specifically for adolescents, no.
1: But using for adults.
2: Okay. Yeah, using for adults. Perfect.
1: Um, cross-utilization. She wrote it for adolescents, but she actually now uses it for for adults. For adults yes. Makes um, sense. And so, if 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 you leave. And you have a plan in place, which it's it's part of our responsibility to make sure that there is a plan in place, that that plan is being executed. That's right. And that you're coming, in whatever fashion you reach out. And people reach out in different ways. Some people just walk back in. Some people call. You know, I get an email, a text message. You know, whatever means of communication there may be, we may get it. Right. And and it should be a bit, And and anyone should use whatever means they have to, to to reach out. And now we know. Back in the day, way, 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 way back in the day, in old school, old school, that you know, if you're a relapse, you know, you know, we, you know, you, you might have got your head chewed off. But the reality is that that wasn't always the case. That's kind of a myth. It wasn't the relapse because, and, and especially people who went through day top. What usually they saw was the re-interview. Okay, yeah. Okay. Not the initial contact the
2: meeting, of the person so coming
1: back in where way more often than not, but there were select individuals where this did not occur, I have to admit, but way more often than not, 95% of the time, the person was dealt with with love, care, concern, Etc. Until we sent you upstate for your re-interview.
2: Right, <laughs> and then the gloves came and off. And the
1: gloves came off. Even and when the gloves came off, it was still with love, care, and concern. But we weren't playing around. We wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on. But uh, there, there certainly wasn't a hand put up it's like a stop sign when you came through the door. Right. You know, or, or the not taking of your phone calls if there was a call. Not well back then there wasn't email, so or there wasn't text texting or anything like that. But you know we did not answer your phone calls if you were calling back, and that's what happened. People would call, 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 and call, and um, you know you would take the call, you find out what was going on, bring the person in so you could eyeball them, et cetera, and um, hear you know what happened. And if they were honest and forthright with you. Uh, you want to get them in, especially if they needed an, an intervention to come off. You know, they had to get off the street, you know, versus right. this was just a, a relapse. It's been arrested quickly, pardon the pun, um, and we can refer you to an outpatient thing to get some support, mm-hmm. et cetera. But more often than not, you know, you know, I mean, it's just... How can I phrase this? I mean, it's just the way it is. When, when it, more often than not, when a relapse occurs, I mean, it occurs. I okay. Mean, I mean, you know what I mean? It, it they, there's a there's a lot of laps in the re.
2: Okay. Yeah. You know what I absolutely. Mean? Absolutely. A lot of lapsing
1: in. Okay. Um. The the exception is the person that's able to arrest it, quickly. Right. Reach out, get some uh, outpatient support, and continue onwards. That's right. Okay, you More often than not, the rule has been that the person has to come back in for short-term intervention, residential intervention, and then go back out, you know, back out again.
2: Right. That makes sense.
1: So what is it that, so if a relapse does occur,
2: what are we trying to find out
1: from this person?
2: I think one of the first things that I would try to find out as a counselor, somebody who counsels outpatient clients where this happens a little more frequently is to try and get them to figure out when when the ball started rolling so to speak. Because we often say in the field that the relapse happened long before you actually picked up and used. Right. That the relapse started happening maybe weeks or months prior um when something was happening where you were either allowing your boundaries to bend a little bit mm-hmm. and start to do things that you might not normally do. And then that carried itself into what was eventually a relapse. Mm-hmm. And so trying to work backwards a little bit to see where did we start to get off track mm-hmm. a little bit for, for you because that track, you know, we need to bear in mind that track is different for every individual. Right. So whatever this individual's track was, where we had like you spoke of the game plan, so to speak, where did we start to deviate from that game plan and then when we find out where that deviation began and what it was why mm-hmm. and let's try and work out why it is that we decided to go left when we knew we were supposed to go right and how to get back on the right path
1: so we have to we kind of roll back the film yeah the video that's right get to that moment in time when the decision was made to go awry, mm-hmm. and when we find that moment in the tape, in the video, so to speak, we then have to, we we then require some honesty, some gut level honesty, forthrightness in terms of okay, why was this decision made versus that decision? Exactly. Okay.
2: Exactly. I liken it to uh, what we do often on the show, kind of like a. Sports analogy when you say game plan like when any team goes into a game preparing for the opponent mm -hmm. in this case the opponent being drugs or alcohol or your drug of choice or whatever the case may be you start to execute that game plan but then all of a sudden oh you know what they're stacking the box with nine people Mm -hmm. our game plan was to run we you know and making sure that we're sticking with something that works Mm -hmm. as opposed to just Throwing away whatever it was we came into and in doing something completely different, mm-hmm. do we build in fail safes? You have to
1: okay. what's an example of a fail safe uh
2: you know, I would say a perfect example is we get a lot of callers who call in um, inquiring about old relationships, mm-hmm. uh my old boyfriend or my old girlfriend mm-hmm. or whomever and going into that the game plan set up with the client and the counselor in in working together putting our brains together might be well if we're going to go back into this relationship these are some clear boundaries that need to be set Mm -hmm. and if we can follow these boundaries and you still feel good with it and comfortable with it and things are working out the way they need to be working out then great Mm -hmm. we can continue with that but the fail safe then needs to be built in well what if the bound, what if the boundaries are broken
3: mm-hmm.
2: what if even the, though the boundaries I've set are being followed I still don't feel comfortable with what's going on you got to have that plan B
3: mm-hmm. you
2: have to be at least mentally prepared for the fact that the relationship may not work mm-hmm. even though I hope that it does going into it and I'm going to need to be okay with that outcome or result as well
1: I have to say that's an excellent analysis Mr. Producer
2: yeah, hey, well, we have to use relationships, right? Because mm-hmm. half the callers we get calling in, hey, what about what? What was the term? Uh, we had someone use an old school term, "my love." My love, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. We hear about he it went, all the time. He went
1: Lionel Richie on
2: us. That's right. So, um, so yeah, I think that's that's one example of the fail safe you speak of.
1: All right, why don't we do this? Um, because let's take a quick music break. Okay. And then come back because when we come back, we're going to come back into controversy. So we're going to we're going to need this break to gather ourselves because the the next thirty <laughs> minutes or so is going to be full of controversy.
2: Okay. Perfect. All right? Quick music break. It is.
1: not to relapse. That is not a question. All right, we're going to deal with a dogma.
0: That's here out comes, that's out there.
1: Here comes controversy time. Is relapse a part of recovery? That's a question that is posed. That is a statement that is made. And we're going to deal with it.
2: We ought to because okay. it's made all the time.
1: So May I do the honors first?
2: Absolutely. Okay. Hit us with it. So listen carefully
1: to how it's stated in the question form. Is relapse a part of recovery? The answer to that question can be both yes and no. Because the question in and of itself doesn't go further. It's almost, to me, a setup question. Because... On one hand, relapse is a part of recovery because people who are in recovery do relapse. Right. And But they don't relapse because they're in recovery. Right. Okay? They relapse, and it becomes a part of their process of recovery. That okay? makes sense. Then you have... If you ask the question again or make the statement again, is relapse a part of recovery on the no side? No. It doesn't have to be written into your script. Sure. That that's what's going to occur. Right. So what's the answer? Well the answer is is that it
2: depends. <laughs> 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 that's quite profound. <laughs> So I think, based on what you're saying, it's less of a question and should be changed more into a statement. Quite simply, put that relapse can be a part of recovery. It can be. Yeah.
1: For some, for some people, it can be a part of their recovery process. Sure. But it is certainly not written into the book of recovery that, you know, in the steps of recovery that at this juncture. Step thirteen. <laughs> you must relapse. Relapse.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, no
1: that's absolutely not the case because what will you say to those who have gone in, you know, into recovery and went on forever and uh, never experienced a relapse? That's right. Um, and versus those who have, have experienced a relapse. Well, what makes the two different? Well, they're different because there's different people, different individuals. Everyone's different. Not everyone has the same life circumstance, same situations, the same triggers, the same, uh, history, frames of reference, experiences that all contribute to their recovery experience. Sure. Okay? So the dogma in and of itself, to me, is a setup question or statement.
2: I can see that. I agree with that.
1: Okay. So from now on, when that question is posed, is relapse a part of recovery? My answer is always going to be it depends. That's right. I don't know your details. I don't know your life story. I don't know what your path is. So I can't tell you if rel- uh, relapse is a part of your recovery. Right. But if you come to us and say, you know what, I have experienced a relapse. The only thing I'm going to well, you know what, that's a part of your recovery process. It has been a part of your recovery process. But to say Walking out the door, but right before the door closes, we say, oh, wait a minute. By the way, we slide you a piece of paper. (laughs) I just want to let you know that you're going to have a little relapse. Relapse is imminent as a part of the recovery process. (laughs) No, we don't do that. No. We prepare everyone, we try and prepare everyone for not a... I don't want to say we prepare everyone for a relapse. It's not that we prepare everyone to try and deal with whatever comes their way so that the instinctual decision is not to revert back to medicating my feelings, but to deal with whatever the circumstances that life has thrown your way. Just deal. Deal with the feelings. Face the experience. Stare it it down. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So... It can be said, and this is why you know if you're in a no matter whether it's a residential environment or an outpatient environment, we've said you've you've done this taught this for twelve thousand years. You should know this because you've done the outpatient groups. Still do. There is so much to be learned from a person who has who has experienced a
2: relapse. Oh yes,
1: and has live to tell the tale. That's right. Cuz they can offer so much knowledge as to the experience like we were talking about earlier the video read the you know rolling back the tape. Let's go to the videotape. Right. Or, or are we out of step with time by saying videotape? Should we
2: roll the roll we don't, I guess roll even would be the cuz literally <laughs> now uh laser back the DVD. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, so much can be learned from the unfortunate experience, but fortunate experience, because even if a person experiences a relapse, it is our hope that it's not a life altering relapse, okay that it's arrested quickly. But others can definitely learn from it. I certainly, sitting in the sitting in the dining room at Swan Lake among 249 of my other brothers and sisters, tell in front of the family their whole process of how it came to be, yeah. how this came into being. And, you know, ears wide open and listening and learning so that I know I'm not going to be making that decision. And I emphasize the word
2: decision. Okay, yeah. It's not a mistake. There are no
1: mistakes when it comes to relapsing. Wasn't a mistake. As Mr. Producer so eloquently stated, the actual act of picking up, whatever your drug of choice may be, the relapse didn't occur when that act occurred. Right. The train of. There the, you the, go. The, the, the locomotive of, of the relapse train started long before it reached that stop. So building stop. up steam yeah, coming slowly. out the gate.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> building up the express. That's right. Um, and even during that time, while it's building up that momentum, there are opportunities. My wife would say windows. Of opportunities to arrest the relapse before it becomes a substance relapse. Yeah. You know, there's we can arrest the behavioral relapse. Well, what happened before that? Well, we, there might be an attitudinal relapse. Mm-hmm. Well, we can maybe arrest that first. But that requires the person to recognize that. Ident- and, and, identify and, it. And what is that unwritten philosophy, again, that always comes into this? To be aware is to be alive. Yeah. If you're aware of what you're feeling, what you're going through, you can identify it, and then you can take appropriate action so that you don't make a bad decision. You can reach out, and we can avoid the ultimate relapse, which is the pick up. What do y'all call it here in California? We, I mean, we used to call it picking up from the cop man. What do y'all call it?
2: I think yeah, picking up. Okay. Uh, right. Would be something used out here as well. Okay. So, yeah, yep. I completely agree. The sooner the sooner we can apply the brakes, the better, obviously, and it can be stopped before we get to the, the literal act of using. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's it's appropriate now to talk to say that the reason why. In our title, we said, uh, you know, to relapse or not to relapse, that is not a question. The reason we didn't say to relapse or not to relapse and mimic Shakespeare or copy Shakespeare and say that is the question, that the
3: Shakespeare that question would
1: be next. Right. Uh, is because it isn't a question. It should never be a question. Walking out the door. If it's a question, then we have already started the train. The locomotives (laughs) train
2: has left the gate. The
1: locomotives have fired up already. (laughs) That's true. Okay, they've fired up already. So I said that is not a question. To relapse or not to relapse. What we're talking about here is if someone makes, gets to that point and makes that decision. What's the response? How do we take care of it? How do we get it arrested? And then we wanted to touch on that controversial dogma. It'll still remain controversial because in some circles, when I say circles and, you know, other treatment models, dare I say, um, you know, that's the dogma, you know. Relapse is a part of recovery, and they say it with conviction, and I would counter it with equal conviction that no, relapse is not a part of recovery. Relapse is a an experience that may occur during a recovery process if you happen to make that choice.
2: It's not a foregone conclusion.
1: Exactly. It's not written in, it's not in the manual.
2: Right. It's not in the manual. Okay,
1: I think I've exhausted myself on the topic.
2: Yeah, well, I think you did quite well in expressing your thoughts and feelings behind it. The whole deal with relapse being a part of recovery, in my mind, has always been kind of twofold, or the main group, I guess I should say, of folks who may experience relapse as a part of their recovery are the first-timers. Mm -hmm. People, this is their first go At getting clean and sober Their first run in treatment Mm -hmm. Um, And then also It tends to be people younger Of a younger age And by younger I mean even as young as Teenage years, Mm -hmm. late teens, Mm -hmm. early Mm twenties And then with alcohol Of course being uh, Oh well my drug of choice was heroin So if I quit heroin I can still (laughs) have a beer during the game or whatever Um that some people, and I guess more so the first-timers than anyone else, need to test that. Mm -hmm. Because at some point you may question, especially if you're young Mm -hmm. as a teenager, how do I know I'm a legitimate addict and I wasn't just a teenager who got in trouble Mm -hmm. and my result or consequence was being sent to a program Mm -hmm. versus just sitting in juvenile hall and being let back out. So am I actually an addict? and to reconcile that kind of struggle in your brain mm-hmm. well there's one way to find out you know you can go ahead and go ahead and try and uh do some more and, research yeah do some research have a drink or or a smoke or whatever it's going to be and see if you can then quote unquote handle it which mm-hmm. is where people might go in their brain mm-hmm. and you either can or you can't and if you can't then okay well now i can i can safely say i feel like i've got a problem with addiction mm-hmm. and that you know I can no longer use, um, and and that's a funny mentality too because I have always said to especially when I used to work with adolescents mm-hmm. who would make it through the program, okay. make it through a nine to twelve month program, and come back to us who had that question, mm-hmm. especially you know eighteen and then eventually I'm going to turn twenty one mm-hmm. is I would always tell them well, one of two things can happen, you can have a drink when you're twenty one. And you may be able to handle it, and you you can be a social drinker for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. or you have a drink at 21 and stuff goes haywire, mm-hmm. and you end up back in a program. Mm-hmm. So th- these are the two potential results, I would tell them. And then my question to them would be, is it worth it?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is, is alcohol that important to you, or you want it that badly in your life,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that even if there's a 1 in 100 shot, that you're an addict, let's say there's a 99% chance you're not, you have the drink, the world doesn't end, and you can go on drinking socially. Mm-hmm. Even if there's a 1 in 100 shot that you are, mm-hmm. and you have that drink and stuff goes really, really bad, is it worth taking that risk or that shot just so you can have a beer or a glass of wine or a cocktail? Is that drink that important to you? And the question for... Some was, yeah, because I think it would be really good to be able to incorporate that right. in my life. Question for others? Now nah, you know what? I much prefer the taste of a strawberry Snapple to a beer any day of the week.
1: The only caveat I would add, um, did I say caveat again?
2: You did. You did. Cleveland Cavaliers, the caveat.
1: All right. The only caveat that I would add <laughs> is that for adolescents, and you know this very well, that we don't judge them in terms of their uh, successful thinking, mature thinking process until they've reached sure. 21, 22, 23. Right. And so we've had many who left us, you know, we're in treatment for a year, year and a half, left us at 16, 17 and a half, et cetera, still had some as I would call it dumb decision making, teenage decision making to live through Yeah. because you can't you know, they got to live through it. Part of the course they, for that age. Right. So um, it's whether or not when they mature out of that into their early adulthood of that 21, 22, 23, and the opportunity comes for them to make the decision that you're talking about, that they make the right decision. Right. And I've come across many, as hard as I try and stay invisible when I'm out there, but they seem to spot me. Um, <laughs> who, you know, and they're in their 20s, 30s and whatnot now from back in the early 90s and doing doing fine. But they had their period after they left, you know, where sure. they still exp- smoked a, a little weed here, drank a little beer there, but they kind of matured out of it. Yep. But then, as you noted, sir, there were some who didn't. Right. And we saw them in the adult program 10 years later. Right. So.
2: Exactly. Your analysis holds true.
1: Um... <laughs> I'm done. Okay.
2: Well, I think we uh, I think we did a pretty good job on this. We didn't throw out too many I don't knows, as <laughs> liberating as that can be from time to time. Covered all the bases. Gave the listeners some good information. All right.
1: Why don't we go to our uh, music break and then come back for our recovery support time?
2: Sounds good. We are going to take a quick music break, and we do see that there are a lot of you on hold. So when the music break is done, we will get to you guys on the other side. Thank you so much for being patient with us.
0: Recovery is a program of OCG radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our recovery support time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our hosts live by calling six four six five six four nine nine zero nine that's six four six Five six four nine nine zero nine, or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com that's ocgworkca at gmail.com and our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery, Recovery Support Time, a time for us to help you.
1: on Recovery, 646 564 9909. We're now in our recovery support time. Let's see, let's go to Michael Winchester, holding a long time. Michael, welcome.
4: Hi, how you doing? Hello? Hello.
1: Michael. Hello, Mike. Yes.
4: Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Is this Orville? Yep. Hey, um my question was this. I'm in um I'm uh, down here uh in a recovery house for 8 months, 8 to 10 months, and I was wondering when I get out, how often do you recommend um Alcoholics Anonymous and what should I look for in a sponsor? It's uh our common ground here in Redwood City.
1: Yep. First part of your question was how often you should like attend and, AA or NA support after treatment.
4: Yes, after ten months.
1: I would say at minimum once every two weeks.
4: Once every two weeks. That's okay. With,
1: that's without that's without knowing where you're at at the time that you're finished with your you know, being in the residential setting, but just ballpark generalization. I think it's good for someone just coming out of treatment to at least twice a month, unless they need more, but at least twice a month, be engaged in some recovery support group.
4: And I've heard, um, yeah, I've heard just stick. Now, as far as uh, picking a a sponsor, any recommendations? Pick someone who's been there for so many years, or what, what do you think?
1: uh length of time length of time does not equal someone that is a quality support person for you. You should pick someone who you know you get along with that's on your wavelength that does have a little bit some experience and uh supports you in a manner that you feel supported. That's very important. Not someone that's going to, you know, if you make a bad decision or a mistake, um, that they're going to pound you into the ground for it, but that they're going to support you and walk you through coming back from any bad decisions or mistakes, et cetera. So that's a feeling out process. Sometimes someone has to make a choice maybe twice before they find the right the person. So.
4: Okay. Well, Thank you very okay. much, sir. I really appreciate your help tonight. Um I don't know if I could put you on hold for another person or if they have to call back.
1: No, they got a call.
4: They have to call? Okay, thank, well, thank you. you very much for your help.
1: All right. Bye bye. Okay. All right, let's go to Paige. From way up there in Reading where it was probably raining a lot last night.
5: <laughs> Hi.
1: Hi, welcome.
5: Um so my question is a little intense. Um, okay. when I when I am driving around San Francisco, San Francisco Lake specifically because I don't you know it doesn't happen too often anywhere else but in San Francisco I see a lot of abuse happening on the side of the road or whatever and it it takes everything I got and the majority of the time I I I end up um getting involved when I see uh, a man abusing a woman especially in public it just it just appalls me and i end up getting involved and now i'm in treatment and I'm, I'm trying to work on my impulses but like i um i don't really know how to control those kind of impulses i know that still at this time that if i already see something like that i wouldn't be able to sit back i've jumped out of moving vehicles and could have gotten myself killed could have gotten someone else killed could have went to jail could have done a lot of things but um I was wondering if you had any insight on something like that.
1: Yeah, we need to tackle you.
5: <laughs>
1: <No>.
5: <laughs>
1: I mean, <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean,
1: you're going to be jumping out of cars and whatnot to try and save someone from, um, you know, something that might be going on on the street. No one wants. Obviously, nobody w- wants to see something like that, and, and and hopefully, there are people that would intervene. Um if you know, if they're there right there, but it it obviously touches home to you when you see something like that from you know from your own frame of you know frame of reference um but you gotta be smart you gotta be smart even if you're going to even 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 if you're going to intervene, you have to be smart because you you don't know what you're getting yourself into, so you have to be smart in the way that you even intervene. And I'm not advising you to intervene, but if you're out there and for whatever reason you feel you have to intervene, you still have to intervene smartly. Would I would I advise you to intervene? No. I wouldn't advise you to intervene because since you have since you have a personal vested interest in this you know, you you know, you might end up killing somebody. No is that did you not hear me?
5: No, I didn't.
1: I said because since you have such a personal vested interest based on your, your history mm-hmm. you could end up killing someone, hurting someone very badly.
5: That is what I'm afraid of and I have talked about it in like seeking safety groups and you know, I'm I'm I recently got a therapist who I'm seeing tomorrow and like she knows my story or whatnot. Um and, you know, that's what one of the things I fear because I do have things like that in my history. I've seen a lot of death and I've been part to things like that, and because I um I've been gang affiliated as a younger um when I was younger, yeah. and I've had a lot of abuse happen to me, and so that is another thing I'm afraid of because I would hate I'm um, you know I've seen I've heard and seen documentaries of women who have just made one mistake and are, are in prison for life. Trying to protect right. themselves, trying to protect somebody else, and that could easily be me. And that's, you know, that's why I'm openly talking about it. Otherwise, it'd be something that I'd probably keep hidden in the dark closet, you know.
1: Right. Well, yeah, I, I, I commend you for that because if it's a significant issue, a significant, you know, um, personal issue for you, that you should continue to talk about it because we certainly don't want you to put yourself in the jackpot. We want you to deal with whatever. Is, you know personal experiences you've had. Um, we certainly don't want you ending up in uh, what is it in California, Chowchilla Women's Prison? That's right. Yeah. We yeah. don't want you going up the road. I think that's only what two blocks down up, the road, two down the road from Redding, two blocks down the road from Redding, where you're from. So yeah. we don't want to we don't want to be visiting you in Chowchilla.
3: No. So, no.
1: Yes. Uh, talk, share, delve into, explore, dig into your experience. So that you become okay with yourself. It no longer impacts what you do on a day-to-day basis, okay? Hmm. And hopefully, this is a hope, hopefully as a result, the impulse control will then come with it. Okay. But right now, right now, you're like a rocket. Yeah. Because it's it's like right there for you, right in the front you know, right at the front of your mind. And so you see it. You're ready to just, hmm.
5: Yeah, and part of me feels justified for having that kind of reaction, too, because of what's happened to me.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, got to keep you strapped down.
5: (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome.
5: All right, you have a good one.
1: Okay, bye-bye. That is an unusual one. Haven't heard that one before.
2: It's first for me as well. Yep. Uh I think that's a little bit of
1: that gangster. Yeah. Coming sure. out in her from back in the day. Um, but we got to we have to somehow, somehow, some way corral it. Long enough for the sharing, the talking talking it out of us, purging it out of our systems to take its effect. And it's not overnight, unfortunately. It's not an overnight process.
2: Right, no, 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 not at all.
1: So hopefully she will stay out of harm's way.
2: Exactly, exactly. That's the, you run that risk of, on one hand, anyone might want to intervene. That's the human kind of nature in Mm -hmm. you to do so. But uh, at what risk? Are you then jeopardizing your own health or your family's health? Or um, unfortunately, in a situation like that, there has to be some sort of rational decision making. And obviously, like you said, seeing it, anyone might want to intervene. But, yeah, there's things you have to consider for sure. Yeah. It sounded to
1: me, though, what she was saying was because she was a victim of that. So her so role might prob- not
2: be to break she, it up. She, she <laughs>
1: probably goes.
2: She's looking to inf- blackness inflict and, bodily and, harm, and, right? And, you know,
1: and then when it's all said and done, what?
2: What? What happened? What yeah, I do? Huh? Blood on the hands uh, in a police interviewing room.
1: Right. So we have to make sure that uh, she's kept out of those scenarios where someone can have harm done to them. Right. Until the therapy, and the counseling, and the sharing has had an opportunity to. The antidote has had a chance to take effect. Right. (laughs) Exactly. We're going to the (laughs) X-Files.
2: Wow, good stuff, Mr. Producer. Hey, we're trying to keep the board lit with all sorts (laughs) of goodies.
1: Uh, Brian has a good question. Um, How do you move past negative history of using drugs. And what's interesting about the question is what he, what he possibly might mean by moving past. Because does he mean um, moving forward with my life? So that becomes in the rear view mirror. That was an experience, a part of my life, but it's not going to define all of my life. Well, that's possible. It's very possible. That's real. That can happen. If he means, hey, I don't want to think about this stuff. I don't want to remember it. I don't want it to cross my mind. Sorry, that's not going to happen. If you've lived it, if you've done it, it's a permanent part of your memory bank, and you're going to think about it from time to time. Things are going to trigger the memories and the thoughts. That's just the way it is. The hope, the hope, the hope, if that's the case. If this is what he's referring to, and I'm not sure. Did you hear the question, by the way?
0: No, sir. He was asking,
1: this is Brian asking um, if we had any good advice to help him move past his negative history of using drugs.
2: Oh, yeah. So I
1: wasn't sure if he was referring to um, the possibility of moving forward with his life and that being in the rearview mirror. It's, you know, and, and just being an experience of his life, but not defining his whole life. Right. Versus... You know, I don't ever want to remember this stuff. I don't want to think about this Being stuff anymore. Being able to
2: amnesia. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you and I can work together to come up with that pill, holy smokes. That might be the million dollar idea that I missed out on before with the dictionary.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Um, so I'm going to take it as if he's talking about moving forward. Um. And the only way, Brian, that you get to move forward from that life of that previous lifestyle of using um, is by not looking backwards in terms of living back there, but focusing on the goals that you have set, the goals you want to accomplish, the methods that you're going to use to accomplish those goals, and that lifestyle is going to be in the rearview mirror. So we spend a lot of time telling, you know, keep saying telling, you end up sounding like you're preaching it, but trying to teach people to, at a certain point, you cannot live in the past. That's right. It was a part of your life. It's not going to define your life unless you let it, allow it to define your life. And there's nothing we can do about it anyway. No. If you did it, you did it. Right. Um, Eric. Still in the X-Files. Eric, he
2: wants it. Still in the (laughs) X-Files. I didn't get this on there just to play it one time.
1: (laughs) How can I set boundaries with old friends? It's an oldie but goodie. It's a popular one, but very, very, very important. One that they struggle with.
2: That's right, and one that we need uh, fail-safe for as you mentioned previously yeah i'm big on role
1: playing i'm big on role playing this one you got to practice with your peers you got to practice with your, your you know i don't care what treatment setting you're in you got to practice i'm going back to the hood i'm going back to where i you know I used to live and my friends are waiting for me good bad and ugly how am i going to set my boundaries keep them maintain them with confidence security, high self-esteem. How am I going to do that? Well, we need to practice that. And we need to role-play it. That has to happen. So that when you're then faced with that situation, you said, you know what? I practiced this. I know exactly what to say for this scenario, that scenario. If someone comes at me this way, I know exactly what to say and how to handle it. That's right. Okay. Versus going out there blind. Hey, Chris, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where you been? (laughs) yeah right uh, uh. <laughs> what <laughs> well, you pretend you don't hear them and you walk down, and you turn around and walk the other way. That's not real. You're gonna run into your old friends they, you know there was a time and they were you know it was like, okay, get rid of all your well how you can't you can't feasibly get rid of people right you know you're gonna run into people. You know, just by living and going to the store, getting on the bus or whatever, you're going to run into people. That's right. And the inevitable question is going to come up: Where have you been? I haven't seen you in like a year. What's What's up? Where you You know, what's What's going on? And you must You must have the confidence to tell your story. The Reader's Digest version, of course. Hey, look. You know what? I was just taking some time out to get my life in order, straighten my life out, get on the right path, get on the right track. And um I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Boom 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 and then keep on stepping. Keep it moving. That's right. Say hi to your mother, say hi to your brother for me. Nice talking to you. Well we role play those things. Because with each in, each interaction may be different. There might be a different interaction for a very close childhood friend versus
2: just an associate from around the hood, from around of course. the race. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Well we got to
1: practice every one of them so that you know how to respond to every one Based of
2: them. Based on, yeah, the, the relationship's dynamic previously.
1: Okay. uh, Let's go to Alan from East Palo Alto. Hey, how you Alan, doing? welcome. Good. How are you? Thank
6: you. Well, I'm kind of struggling. Hey, I'm in treatment, and um, <clears throat> it seems like I, I did an extensive amount of time in prison, and now I'm in treatment. i got a history of drugs. And I've been clean and sober for about two years now, and it just seems like whenever I get into a confrontation of some sort, or it seems like I always revert to scenarios that are like way out, and um, I always go to the, the worst kind of scenario. When, when in my head, I imagine the worst thing happening, and um, I don't know why that is. And I'm trying to do the most positive things that I can do. I don't know how to stop that. I don't know if it's fear or what. I try to breathe and 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 slow down and calm my head and then and, and respond. But I still always expect the worst to happen.
1: And when exactly. are you talking about the if if there happens to be some conflict?
6: Right, or not even that. I just even if somebody's just yeah, kind of, yeah.
1: You say you've been two years clean? Yes, sir. Does that include any time in incarceration? Yeah. Okay.
6: Um, Most of it was incarceration, but okay. I was That's doing uh, you know NA programs in there and uh, and, okay. and recovery based twelve steps deals and support groups.
1: Excellent. Okay. And, Very good.
6: And uh, and I'm just trying to uh How avoid long were you in the life? Um, I'm 49 uh, most of my life.
1: Okay. Give me a number.
6: Uh, At at least 20 years.
1: Okay. So here's the deal, Alan. Um, It is not going to be an overnight process in terms of how you respond to your outer world, changing that. But have you, so far, had any physical acting out with anyone? No. No. I can't. Let's just leave the answer as no. Correct. Okay. Just with that, okay, and then there's a larger point that I'm going to get to. Just with that, you have shown some ability to, even though in your mind, okay, you think certain things, you haven't acted off of them. Right. Are you following me? Yes. Okay. So you need to give yourself some props. Uh
6: Uh-oh, I think I just got cut off. It's
1: You still there, Alan?
6: Yeah, I'm here. I thought I lost you.
1: Okay, no, I'm still here. As, As much as you have thought about reacting in certain ways, you didn't do that. Right. That's progress. Oh, yeah. And you know what's very common with addicts? They very rarely recognize when they're actually making progress. Someone else has to tell them they don't see it themselves
6: i know it seems like my world was like addiction to drugs and then all of a sudden without those around is addiction to chaos <laughs> it sure seems sometimes
1: well it's, I know it's the emotional going to, yes the emotional chaos yes because once the drugs stop then everything else starts flooding to, flooding
6: yeah I start to feel flooding it towards
1: the mind flooding towards the the gut you know everything starts flooding, and it can become very overwhelming, but more importantly, you have been able to control it despite what you might have think you know what you might think in certain situations. you haven't acted off of it. Let me tell you why that is extremely important because ultimately 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 ultimately, bottom line. Okay, you're going to be judged on what you do, not what you're thinking to yourself in your mind, what you actually do. Exactly. And so, right now, even though you have these thoughts, you're not acting off of them, and that, to me, that shows tremendous progress. And I think you need to recognize yourself for that. I think you need to give yourself a pat on the back. Stop being so hard. <laughs> just our way of recognizing you.
6: Yeah, I, there was a bunch of static just a minute ago. You know what I did? Re- <laughs> I have recognized. What I have recognized Alan, is cats was, like,
1: oh. No, oh. Alan, that was hands clapping.
6: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: that was the round of applause. Yeah, but we, actually, <laughs> we get that feedback from time to time with that sound clip. It's uh, People think they're just dropping on the line or something.
1: So yeah. you understand what I'm saying, Alan? Yeah. Okay.
6: It's like it's like it's like it's like uh, I've been going through these classes and, and 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 these recovery groups and over and over again and then finally I I finally hit a moment where where it, I utilized all those tools and and you're right man you know and uh, yeah, I do need to do that it's a good feeling.
1: Yep, it is.
6: And, you know, i got to say thanks to everybody in recovery because if it wasn't for all their messages, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at right now.
1: Well, don't forget to thank the most important person, which is yourself, because you're the one that's taking it in and learning to apply it. Yeah. And nobody can force you to do that. You have to be willing to do that. So... I just want to let you know that, okay? Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome, sir. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: I thought the most important person you had to remember to thank was the host. No, no. <laughs> no. All right. No.
1: You are the most important person in the world. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's go to Rick from Vallejo. Rick.
7: Good evening. <clears throat> good evening. Good
1: evening, Rick. How are you?
7: Yes, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Had better days, but my question is this: um, What process and what steps should one take to start working on self-preservation in the aspects of internalizing um, love, confu- yeah, yeah. Uh, internal confusion? <clears throat> because what I'm tra- what I'm experiencing is I'm doing things to try to Rick? seek awareness. Yes.
1: Rick, can you can you speak up? We we can't hear okay. you too well. Thank you.
7: What steps can I take to begin to start realizing or understanding self preservation in the, in the aspects you, of maybe, yes.
1: Go ahead. No, go ahead.
7: In the aspects of um because what what's happening is I find myself trying to do things to help significant others or show significant others that I love them, and it seems like my angles are all wrong, and it just it doesn't feel like I'm getting fulfillment. You know the old cliche, to create good self-esteem, do esteemable things, and I'm trying to right wrongs, and it just appears that there's no gratification, and I and I just feel like I'm getting in a darker and darker circle, nothing's repairing itself, because I'm okay. always the bad person, and I always re- they always revert back to the bad things
1: that you've done. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. You're going about it the wrong way. Okay. And I'm going to try and give you the Reader's Digest version of it, since we don't have a tremendous amount of time. So here, here it is. You cannot approach it with expectations of the other person because you will always be disappointed in their response.
7: No, no, not, not, I don't really expect, there's no expectations. There's, in all actuality, it's it's open-ended giving because I just feel, but it seems like regardless of what I do or the approach that I, that I take to show people that, um, hey, I'm not that same person, I always get the dagger thrown back in my heart, and it seems like by trying to restore my self-preservation and my internal my internal heart, it, it's not it's not repairing itself, and I just keep going to the the mirror and looking at myself and going, you know, is is this what it's all about? Is it? Are you going to, no. have to walk damnation?
1: No, 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 no. No. I want you to listen carefully. Okay. Even though you say that. You don't have any expectation. I want you to just open mind for a second. Mm-hmm. The way you can determine whether or not someone is walking into something with an either conscious or subconscious ex- uh, expectation, especially if it has to do with loved ones, okay, mm-hmm. is their reaction to being rebuffed. Yeah. Okay. And so with loved ones, if you are rebuffed, that's being rejected, that hurts, and there's no deeper pain than that, being rejected by your loved ones. Mm-hmm. But what I want you to be careful of, though, is that you have turned it around to say, well, well, because they may re- have rejected me or they reject me in my attempts to make amends to show them that I am not the person I was or I'm trying to become a better person and they're and they're not there with you yet that somehow that makes you a bad person. Yeah. That's not the way it works.
7: Okay. I it understand. has
1: to be all about you, okay? It has to be all about you. You're not doing it for them, you're doing it for you. And this yeah. way, this way Even if you put yourself out there and you get rebuffed, okay, that you still know that I'm doing the right thing. I'm walking down the right path. And you know what? They may not be ready yet. I may have to still just continue to do what I'm doing. And at some point, okay, because it might be a show and prove thing. Hey, you know what? You've said this before. You've talked a lot before. Ah, We want to see. They might not be saying this, but their actions of rejecting you are actually saying that. So you you don't take it in a way that, hey, that makes me bad. No, it's, okay, they're not ready, but I'm going to continue to do what I'm going to do for myself because you are the most important person in the world.
7: Okay. Makes sense.
1: You can't go down that dark path because a loved one is not ready to accept you back yet.
7: Makes sense. You don't yeah. know when I hear you. Time. That makes you sense.
1: You don't know when that, you don't know when it's going to happen. It happens mm-hmm. any moment. Yeah. Cuz they're watching, they're looking. And you got to be ready. And okay. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. Okay, sir.
7: But yeah, thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome.
7: Okay. Have a nice night. Bye-bye.
1: You too. We have to be very careful when we get People and, and you, you know this from dealing with people in a treatment setting, where they get to a place in their mind from being rebuffed by family. You know, like you know, they're doing their thing, they're getting their life together, and they're and they're so excited and so you know they want to show their family members and their loved ones that they're they're really doing it, you know, and they're serious about it. And the family ain't ready, right? They got their own pain to deal with from from whatever may have happened, you know, in the last ten years or whatever period of time you know what I mean and exactly right. they're not in treatment even though we know that the family should be a part of the process so that they, everyone can heal okay but more often than not they're not you know what so it's going to take them a little bit longer does that mean that I'm you know well my family doesn't want me or they're not ready for me so you know what's what's the use why should I bother with this recovery thing no it's about it's about you man it's about you it's not about them that's right how are we on time? We we're good, right?
2: We're good on time. Okay. Yeah, right. we're about the twenty five minute mark. Okay. Uh um, are you gonna give me a reason to drop my sound bite again? Yeah, I'm delving back in. I'm hey, delving back in. Here we go. Here we go.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, here's another common question. And to our listeners, we may get a lot of a lot of the same questions, and, and one of the reasons why we'll we'll continue to read the same questions is because it's a sign of what people are struggling to grasp, understand, um, and, you know, move forward with, and so we need to repeat it. No different than if you were in the, the the physical reality of a treatment environment, where you have to repeat yourself over and over and over again, so that the person constantly hears the same refrain, the same, uh, you know, guidance, et cetera. So yeah, we might you might hear the same questions periodically. So here's an example of that. Um, Robert is asking, um, how long into his recovery do it does triggers diminish? Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. And there's no real singular answer for that. Mm -hmm. It depends on what triggers. Mm -hmm. Some people have serious triggers and at the same time have little things that trigger them that are not as serious. Mm -hmm. So obviously the less powerful the trigger, the more quickly it will diminish. And or I guess instead of using the word diminish, I prefer to approach it from more manageable having the trigger just be more manageable than it might be when it's very powerful at its early stage and then it depends on the person for some people maybe even the strongest of triggers will not will will become very manageable very quickly and for others there might be one or two triggers that are so extreme 10 or 20 years down the line mm-hmm. they can experience the trigger and still have a physiological reaction to it mm-hmm. um so it's really contingent upon the individual and the the type of trigger we're talking about
1: and of course we we are well aware of the 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 number one issue that triggers all kinds of triggers and that is relationships and we don't just mean the intimate relationships but the family relationships the friend relationships relationships period are major 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 triggers and that's an example of one that may not diminish. It all depends on how you're handling it, how you're dealing with the feelings that arise from it, etc. So that won't be the last time we'll be addressing that because that's a common, common theme that we're getting. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Oh, I like this one here. He doesn't get a chance to drop his uh, X-File sound thing. So uh, David is asking, are the chances of recovery better for a 20-year-old as compared to a 50-year-old? What a great question. That's a great question, David, discriminating against your elders. I have no idea what how old David is by the way. So he he could be the 50-year-old asking the question against a 20-year-old or he's the 20-year-old asking it against the 50-year-old or he's neither just asking the question. I don't know. But this is why I like that quest this question. It's an interesting thing about being 20-year-old, being 20 and you know, being in treatment or entering the recovery realm, as I like to call it.
2: It's very young yeah. to enter such right. a such a world
1: and uh Versus being
2: 50. If I was a
1: betting person, which I'm not, okay, but if I was and someone said, okay, who are you going to put your money on? Are you going to put your money on the 20-year-old or the 50-year-old? I've got to roll with the 50-year-old. I'm not being an ageist. Interesting. I'm not saying it because I am 50. Man, (laughs) it's out there. It's out there now. It's out there. It's out there. Can't take it back. No, I'm saying that because if you think about it, the 50-year-old has more life experience to motivate them to be serious in their recovery. They may have reached a point of where we like to say in in the in the recovery world that they're sick and tired. They've been out there a long time and they and they're just ready. They're motivated. Okay? The 20-year-old is just getting started. He has no frame of retinal history, really. You know, what I mean, to really speak yeah. of. And at twenty, you know, we knew it all. We were indestructible. You know, I'm just here because you know, I'm. And I'm. I'm. This is a generalization that this does not apply to all twenty-year-olds. I'm just here because the judge said, "Look, you know, time to it, go. Time to go. you can going to do this program or whatever, etc." Or mom said, you know, if I want to still live here, you know, I've got to do this. But the 50-year-old, hey, you know, theoretically that's, a, you know, a little less than half of their life, right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I'm rolling with the 50-year-old in terms of, you know, if you want to say who has a better chance. But in reality, anyone can have a equal chance of succeeding in recovery. It all depends on your desire and your commitment. That's true. You can have that at 20. Is it more likely that a 20 year old will have it more than a 50 year old? I wouldn't say so. Hmm. But I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. I didn't have it at 20.
2: Yeah. I was just getting rolling. It's an, it's an interesting <laughs> take for sure. You ever counterpoint? I would say uh, if if I were a betting man, which I am. <laughs> you show me the money line, I'm there. Uh I would actually have to put my money on the 20-year-old. Um oh. Also, although, oh. <laughs> oh. Although uh, <laughs> although you make some very valid points which sound very logical when you think them out, there is actually a psychological theory that's been empirically proven that would go against what it is you said if we are looking at simply put, a fifty year old versus a twenty year old and the length of time in which the individual has been using.
1: Oh, see, he's got he he's got to go with the biophysics
2: it's actually, and the
1: physiological <laughs> That's he's, right. He's got to go see that's being an ageist. You're saying that because I've reached fifty
2: <laughs>
1: Okay. That I can't hold my own with the twenty year old because, you know, I've 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 lived I've, uh, my body's a little bit more worn down, so to speak. Uh, my mind, in terms of the length of my drug use, if I've used for 10, 50, there's more opportunity of years for me to have used and, you know, and, and, and do more damage in terms of my brain cells and, and what have you, my liver, my kidneys, my this, my that, whereas a 20-year-old has still got that physiological, biological edge of youth. That, is, that your, is that your argument?
2: That is not the argument, okay. although that's oh. that's a very good argument. You almost <laughs> disproved yourself there just by making such a stellar case uh, for the 20-year-old versus the 50-year-old. It's actually something that's uh, pretty simple, actually, when you think about it fundamentally, and anyone can wrap their mind around this theory. It's actually known as the behavioral momentum theory. And the theory states that behavior, just like if we look at things with inertia or anything in the physical universe, everything has momentum. momentum. Well, the behavioral momentum works such that our behaviors, the longer we've been doing something, the longer it takes to stop or the harder it is to stop. So if we go back to earlier in the show, we were uh, referencing a train leaving the station. If a train has only just started to take off, it's going to take a much shorter distance for it to stop and it'll take energy effort and or power if we're looking at it as a force to stop as opposed to once that train is rolling and it's reached top speed and it's going for a while it's going to take a much longer distance for that train to come to a complete stop and take a lot more force to get it to stop so our behaviors work in the same manner so i would imagine if we're looking at a random 20 year old here maybe they've used since they were 13, that's seven years. Mm-hmm. Let's assume the 50-year-old started using at the same age, 13. So now you're looking at 37 years. It's going to take that person a lot longer to stop, and it's going to be a much more forceful act. It's going to take a lot more power to get that person to stop. Now, I agree with your point that either one of them could stop. I mean, this mm-hmm. all comes down to choice. We're dealing in, in addiction here. Either one of them can stop. The theory doesn't really state who's going to stop and who's not. Mm -hmm. But if I were a betting man, which I am, Mm -hmm. I'd have to put the money on the 20 year old simply based on that theory.
1: Okay. And this debate will not be solved here today. (laughs) We're going to go back to the phones. (laughs) All right. Ageist. (laughs) Let's go to Lily from Chico.
5: Hi. Um, Hi. I wanted, I wanted a little bit of advice. Um, so I'm in a treatment program right now, and um, I'm nearing the end of my time here, and uh, I spent a lot of time in the beginning concentrating on the outside world and how to fix that or how to do this or, you know, I need this to happen or whatever on the outside world, <clears throat> and now I'm coming towards the end of my treatment where I'm able to go take care of those things and I'm realizing that, you know, I I didn't spend enough time working on me. What What do you what, can could you have any advice or anything
1: oh it's the age old age old thing the early days are wasted with you know, <laughs>
2: whatever they're what, wasted whatever with.
1: they're wasted with. <laughs> <laughs> and and when the when the when the time you know when time gets near when you know the time is coming near for you to move to the next phase of your life transition to whatever that next phase is you know you know things need have to start getting serious because my time is short so if you find yourself in that situation where hey i didn't make good use of my all of my time that i had available in a treatment setting and I'm down to my last 60 days, 30 days, whatever it may be, then what it means is that whatever time you have left, every day that you have left has to be devoted to dealing, making sure that do I know what my issues are? Can I identify them? Can I name them? Where am I at with each one? These are just rhetorical questions. Where yeah. am I at with each issue? Have I resolved it? Have I accepted it? Have I, you know, moved past it? You know, take, you're taking an inventory, basically, so that mm-hmm. you you at least you can be aware of where you stand. And when the time comes for you to transition to whatever that next step is, you have a plan of action of how you're going to either continue to work on a particular thing or something's been put to rest and don't have to worry about that. But you, you take an internal inventory.
3: hmm
1: and whatever needs the most attention now gets the most attention now. Whatever can wait till I move into, let's say, outpatient or whatever it is, th- it waits till then. Okay. That's the best plan of approach. So yeah, so you have to do an internal inventory and answer that part for yourself. Of you know, what do I need to really focus my energies on right now? What's the most important thing for me?
5: That makes sense.
1: Put pen to fun. paper. Put pen to paper. Don't do it up in your head. Put it on paper so you can see it coming from your hand out of the, in, the pen onto the paper.
5: Yeah. Okay. Okay? That makes a lot of sense. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, the wasted time and treatment.
2: <laughs> yeah, it goes a lot more quickly than you believe it will.
1: Back in the day, up at Swan Lake, you know, you 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 know, you were getting about 11 to 13 months. You had no idea when you were going to go back down to reentry. You would just, you know, you would be sitting in the dining room one day, and they'd call everyone into the dining room, and and they'd say, and they would just rattle off seven, eight, nine names. Okay, you're going down to reentry. You had no warning, no nothing. Hmm. Wow. And it was, I mean, you were told before you went up there, this is a self-help program. Help yourself while you're there. Right, because you don't know when you, the, when, know when you don't know when the tap on the shoulder is coming. All right, let's go to Brett from St. Pauls. Go Twins! All right, we gotta flush him. All right, exactly. just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Go, kid, go,
8: go Twins! Please, guys, go Twins. Hey, I do have a question. I, I hear that in California right now, they're doing a lot of what they said with treatment. They're doing a lot of implants along with 12-step programs that have been very successful. It's an underskin implant. Um, I think it's the Bruxel or something. Is that correct? To
1: treat, to treat what?
8: Um, it's, it, was, it was originally to treat heroin, but they found out that it's been really working with um, alcohol. And I'm just and I'm just wondering, if, is is that something true that's happening in California?
1: I wouldn't say it's happening in California. But it, it, it would be happening everywhere. It's really a mad. If you're asking specifically California, I guess you're wondering whether or not California is going to allow it to be utilized. Yeah. Yeah, that's.
8: uh, Yes, I heard there's um a couple treatment facilities out there that are using it. Not only was it first prescribed, was it first prescribed by a doctor to be orally taken, but um as an alcoholic myself, um Mm -hmm. I've heard that what it is, it's been it's being implanted under the skin. In like a yearly dose, and it has been it's had a high success rate with 12-step programs. Have you heard anything about that?
1: I have not, but um, it sounds very intriguing and very interesting, and uh, we're going to look into it and do some research on it. Okay. And definitely uh, provide a uh, follow-up next week.
8: Perfect. Thank you.
1: Thank you. But, uh, are you still there, Brett?
8: Still there, Brett? Oh, you hung up.
1: I was going to ask him his opinion on... Uh, Adrian Peterson, uh, okay. since he seems to be the big Minnesota fan. Sure. Um. So we were talking about many shows ago about uh, most of the prescription-based
2: treatments. Right. Were going towards alcohol.
1: They were then yeah. working their way towards the opiates, and then.
2: The- when he mentioned the drug, it sounds like the drug that, and he said orally. Sounds like the drug that I had heard of that they were working on for alcoholics. Right. I had not heard anything about them changing it or um, engineering it to become an implant, but that's something to research for sure.
1: We, how are we doing on time?
2: We have enough to take this call without a screen. That's up to you, or we can dip into my sound bite, you know, but it's going to be about one more question.
1: All right, well, we'll we'll take a risk. We're we're not against risk taking, so we're going to take this call without screening. Hi, welcome to Roadshow Recovery. Your name and hometown, please.
9: Uh, Alvin Perkins. I live in uh, Bakersfield, California.
1: Hi, welcome. How can we help you?
9: Yeah, uh, uh since I live in, I live in such a small town right uh but my question is uh what's the most uh common uh uh, drug that uh, people use today
1: in california
9: yeah california methamphetamine methamphetamine yeah um, okay um is this is this something that you know that they uh, uh that that can be uh, you know can 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 a person get off of it easy, or is it something that you know they have to go through a lot of treatment for?
1: It's a very insidious drug. It's a very wicked drug. Um, it's yes. Uh, you know, we used to have an adolescent program, and when the kids started coming in, you know, at, you know, daily meth users, and uh, one of the things I used to say to the kids. It's the first I was asked them how much they were using, and so I was using daily. I said the only thing that you have working in your favor is one, right. you've stopped, and that you're young. Uh-huh. Right. If you've been doing it for ten, fifteen, twenty years,
9: yeah.
1: sometimes the damage is very hard to recover from. Yeah. With this particular well, drug.
9: Well, what's the difference between that and uh, and uh, like uh, cocaine, crack cocaine? Don't they kind of oh. work on the same?
1: Well, we know methamphetamine just is a stimulant. Cocaine is yeah. a stimulant. Okay? But the huge difference between the two has nothing to do with where they classify in terms of whether they're a depressant stimulant, hallucinogenic, etc. The huge uh-huh. difference is one is emanates from a plant. Uh-huh. Another is purely concocted by man via chemicals.
9: Okay, so... Uh... You, you follow me? yeah okay yeah
1: okay so the imagine is the the, plant. yeah well, a right. cocoa plant is what's used for cocaine. The poppy seed plant or whatever they call it is what's used for heroin, so yeah. those ultimately emanate from a plant, so right.
2: the
1: methamphetamine is put together by mixing this and mixing that, I mean you gotta basically be a scientist in a laboratory, yeah, in a laboratory. And so, how good can that be for the body? I'm not saying cocaine and, and, and heroin are. I'm just saying, if you're comparing yeah. the three together, if you gave me a choice, I sure wouldn't choose that one.
9: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just,
1: I'm just saying,
9: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I just, you know, uh, wanted to know, because I know that both of them are like being smoked today. Yes, you know? yes, yes. And... Uh, you know, I just uh I was just kinda wondering, you know I mean you know why would one person you know pick one or the other you know
1: um because I'll tell you why you see cocaine the um the cocaine is almost still has some glamour to it, and yeah. i'm gonna I'm gonna answer this next week. I'm getting the signal, I'm getting ready to get cut off by the computer. The producer giving me the coca okay. signal, so all right. I'm going to finish oh. this next week. All right sir.
9: Okay. All right, all thank right. you very much.
1: Thank you.
2: I right. always doing this to me? Just when so I'm getting ready to get rolling. I got to engineer the show, man. I got to keep us on track. All right. Uh but I did want to thank everybody who did call in today. We do see we have another caller on the board. We would encourage you to call back next week. Again, a continued uh all our continued support and supporters out there, people listening and following us. We thank you. We wish everybody a safe end of the week and safe weekend and look forward to talking to you all next Tuesday.
0: Our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at four pm Pacific Standard Time on Blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash OCG WorkCA. And on Twitter at OCG WorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.
3: I you.